Numbers 35 being the next to the final chapter in the book of Numbers, after which we'll pick up Deuteronomy and the reading of the Old Testament. Matthew Henry comments on this chapter. He says, Orders having been given before for the dividing of the land of Canaan among the lay tribes, as they may call them, care is here taken for a competent provision for the clergy, the tribe of Levi, which ministered in holy things. Hear now this word of God, inspired by his spirit, profitable for us. Numbers 25, starting at verse 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses in the plains of Moab by Jordan near Jericho, saying, Command the children of Israel that they give unto the Levites of the inheritance of their possession cities to dwell in. And ye shall give also unto the Levites suburbs for the cities round about them. And the cities shall they have to dwell in, and the suburbs of them shall be for their cattle, and for their goods, and for all their beasts. And the suburbs of the cities which ye shall give unto the Levites shall reach from the wall of the city and outward a thousand cubits round about. And ye shall measure from without the city on the east side two thousand cubits, and on the south side two thousand cubits, and on the west side two thousand cubits, and on the north side two thousand cubits. And the city shall be in the midst. This shall be to them the suburbs of the cities. And among the cities which ye shall give unto the Levites, there shall be six cities for refuge, which ye shall appoint for the manslayer, that he may flee thither. And to them ye shall add forty and two cities. So all the cities which ye shall give to the Levites shall be forty and eight cubits, them shall ye give with their suburbs. And the cities which ye shall give shall be of the possession of the children of Israel. From them that have many, ye shall give many. And from them that have few, ye shall give few. Everyone shall give of his cities unto the Levites according to his inheritance, which he inheriteth. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, When ye become over Jordan into the land of Canaan, then ye shall appoint you cities to be cities of refuge for you, that the slayer may flee thither, which killeth any person at unawares. And they shall be unto you cities for refuge from the avenger, that the manslayer die not until he stand before the congregation in judgment. And of these cities which ye shall give, six cities shall ye have for refuge. Ye shall give three cities on this side Jordan, and three cities shall ye give in the land of Canaan, which shall be cities of refuge. These six cities shall be a refuge both for the children of Israel and for the stranger and for the sojourner among them, that everyone that killeth any person unawares may flee thither. And if he smite him with an instrument of iron so that he die, he is a murderer. The murderer shall surely be put to death. And if he smite him with throwing a stone, wherewith he may die and he die, he is a murderer. 
the murderer shall surely be put to death. Or if he smite him with an hand weapon of wood, wherewith he may die and he die, he is a murderer. The murderer shall surely be put to death. The revenger of blood himself shall slay the murderer. When he meeteth him, he shall slay him. But if he thrust him of hatred or hurl at him by lying in wait that he die, or in enmity smite him with his hand that he die, he that smote him shall surely be put to death, for he is a murderer. The revenger of blood shall slay the murderer when he meeteth him. But if he thrust him suddenly without enmity, or have cast upon him anything without laying of weight, or with any stone wherewith a man may die, seeing him not, and cast it upon him that he die, and was not his enemy, neither sought his harm, then the congregation shall judge between the slayer and the avenger of blood according to these judgments. And the congregation shall deliver the slayer out of the hand of the revenger of blood, and the congregation shall restore him to the city of his refuge, whither he was fled. And he shall abide in it unto the death of the high priest, which was anointed with the holy oil. But if the slayer shall at any time come without the border of the city of his refuge, whither he was fled, and the revenger of blood find him without the borders of the city of his refuge, and the revenger of blood kill the slayer, he shall not be guilty of blood. Because he should have remained in the city of his refuge until the death of the high priest. But after the death of the high priest, the slayer shall return into the land of his possession. So these things shall be for a statute of judgment unto you throughout your generations in all your dwellings. Whoso killeth any person, the murderer shall be put to death by the mouth of witnesses. But one witness shall not testify against any person to cause him to die. Moreover, he shall take no satisfaction for the life of a murderer, which is guilty of death. But he shall be surely put to death. And ye shall take no satisfaction for him that is fled to the city of his refuge, that he should come again to dwell in the land until the death of the priest. So ye shall not pollute the land wherein ye are, for blood it defileth the land. And the land cannot be cleansed of the blood that is shed therein, but by the blood of him that shed it. Defile not therefore the land which ye shall inhabit, wherein I dwell. For I, the Lord, dwell among the children of Israel. Thus far the reading of God's holy word from the book of Numbers chapter 35 few comments on this passage, very instructive in many ways. Verses 1 through 8, we have the 48 cities assigned to the Levites, their suburbs, and some dispersed throughout every tribe of those total of 48. It says, uh, verse 2, ye shall give also unto the Levites suburbs for the cities round about them. These are what were later called the commons or the common lands. These suburbs are outside of the city. These would be, of course, for their cattle, their crops, etc. It was to be a thousand cubits roundabout, verse 4 tells us, on every side, 
But if you measure up on one side, that would be 1,000 this way and 1,000 this way, a total of 2,000 summed up in verse 5. Six cities for refuge. In other words, to escape the avenger of blood, they would take refuge there. And then notice verse 8, the Lord refers to this being according to the inheritance which he inheriteth. He speaks of each tribe as one man, he inheriteth. And this inheritance is what? It is God's testamental gift. He says, you are my heirs. Here is the inheritance I provide for you. I appoint it with succession for your children's children. But he says, I require a portion for the Levites. God was the inheritance of the Levites, and therefore they did not have a full regular tribe, but were to be dispersed among the tribes, teaching the word of God. Verses 9 through 15, we have the six cities of refuge. If a man killed another man without malice, or it says in verse 11, unawares, that is ignorant or wandering out of the way, not intentionally, he strayed and had no malice beforehand. It says that he would have to stand before the congregation in judgment in verse 12. Now, the whole congregation of Israel did not assemble every time someone had killed someone unawares or there was a dispute whether he had done so. This is a figure of speech. The whole congregation is spoken of, but it's actually a reference to the judges who were appointed by the congregation to judge in such matters. Notice also that capital punishment cannot be meted out by the civil government without a fair and lawful trial. Now, there are exceptions we see in this passage. If the avenger of blood sees the man commit the murder, he knows that he's guilty and he kills him, there's no problem because he should have fled for a trial if he thought he was innocent. So there are cases when there may be immediate action taken either by a lawful deputy of the state or in self-defense. People can defend their own lives. Those are other instances in the Bible. Here, though, it's referring to such a case where there's a dispute There must be a fair trial. Notice verse 15, the right of a fair trial is for the children of Israel and for the stranger and for the sojourner among them. In other words, God recognizes this is of natural right. It's not of particular right, only for Israel. It also applies to people from foreign lands who are sojourning among them. It has to do with the sixth commandment. The right of a fair trial is a logical extension of the sixth commandment. People must have their right to life secured by civil magistrates. And this here he details for us. Then verses 16 through 24, we have the distinctions of cases. Who could lawfully use these cities and who could not? Who was a manslayer without malice and who was a murderer? God gives us principles to determine these things. Notice verse 16. If he smite him with an instrument of iron so that he die, he is a murderer. Now, if you actively hit someone with a deadly weapon and you say, well, I only meant to harm him, but he died, you are guilty of murder. We we need to think this through. The Bible says that the responsibility for our actions goes beyond what we immediately intend and anything else that follows from it. That's very important. If you take an action to strike someone and you only mean to hurt them, but you kill them, you are a murderer, God says. 
You are responsible, though the consequence may be unintended by you, you are responsible for the consequence. I am responsible for the consequence. If someone becomes passionate and angry and says, I will strike you with his fist, and that person dies, is he off the hook? Because, well, after all, he was overcome with passion. Is that what the Bible says? No. He's a murderer, God says. We must see that our actions have consequences and God holds us for the consequence we intend and the consequence that follows. So we must be very cautious, must we not, in our actions according to God's law. We must learn to regulate our passions. Keep yourself thereby from deeds that lead to those consequences, in other words. We'll see later there are fruits of the peaceable fruits of righteousness. This is not a peaceable fruit of righteousness to be ruled by your anger and strike someone and you don't even think about how you might take their life. And when we have fits of passion and we are ruled by them, we must take responsibility for our actions, the consequences that follow from our foolish choices that we make. Well, I didn't mean to hurt you. Oh, really? Did you mean to strike that person? Well, then you meant to hurt them, and anything that you didn't mean, you are responsible for. That's how God sees it. Verse 17, the murderer shall surely be put to death. Dying, he shall die. Capital punishment is required by the light and law of nature. It's not unique to Israel. If people oppose capital punishment on the grounds that Jesus died upon the cross, they are perverts, they are heretics. A pervert is someone who is thoroughly twisted in their thinking or living. So a person who says Jesus died on the cross and therefore capital punishment no longer applies is a pervert and a heretic. They turn the grace of God into lasciviousness. They make grace abolish the natural order rather than, as Scripture teaches, grace restores and perfects the natural order. And you may look at Romans 13 for additional details. There the apostle says the magistrate has a sword, a butcher's sword, the beheading sword, the machairos, in order to avenge God's wrath against them that do evil. The gospel does not undo this, in other words. Verse 20, if he thrust him of hatred or hurl at him by lying of weight. Notice hatred is a passion. If a man takes an action that is passionate or if he thinks about it beforehand, he lies in wait, he plans it out, he hides himself and comes on him with subtlety. He's either scheming in his mind or ruled by his passions. In both cases, God says, that man is a murderer. If he have no enmity, verse 22, he's not his enemy or hates him in time past. If he cast upon him anything without lying in wait, no premeditation, no thinking about it beforehand, no fit of passion and hatred toward this person. He casts a stone, he doesn't see him, Such a person is innocent. He has no intention to murder. Now, that does not mean there are not consequences of that action. He would leave his family, he would leave his home, and he'd be put in what we might call prison. 
until the death of the high priest. Now, how long did a priest offer his sacrifices and do his work in the temple? Well, they would start at the age of 30. And they would, traditionally, people would live to 70 or 80 years. So think about that. That's about 40 or 50 years of your life in prison just for killing someone without intending to do so. Now, it could be as short as a year. It could be as short as a few days. It depends on when the high priest died. But nonetheless, you're looking at a possible sentence of maybe up to 50 or 60 years because you unintentionally took a person's life. See how seriously the scriptures think of other people's lives? Men created in God's image. That's the basis on which those sorts of laws are made. We don't say if you kill a dog, we'll put you to death, do we? No, we don't. Dogs are not created in the image of God. So even if you do not intend in a case of mere manslaughter, God still takes it very seriously when you take a human life. So we must be cautious. We must not be careless. That's the case here. A person takes a stone. Maybe he's working on a hill and he drops it off the hill. He doesn't mean any harm but he might take someone's life. So what do you do? You look out below first, you make sure no one is there, and then you drop the stone, right? Don't do things negligently, in other words. Even if you don't premeditate, still be cautious and consider others' lives as important and to be preserved. Again, verse 24 refers to the congregation judging through its judges as the figure of speech runs. Verses 25 through 34, we have the regulation of those who seek refuge in these cities and capital punishment for murder. As I mentioned, verse 25 refers to a restoration to the city of refuge. He might lose his freedom of movement. He has to stay in one place. He can't be with his family. He can't be in his home. Verse 25, he shall abide in it unto the death of the high priest, which was anointed with holy oil. Now notice here, this is not a one-for-one -one correspondence, but this is very much like the gospel, isn't it? Who is the anointed priest? Who has the holy oil? Did you know that the word Christ means one who is anointed with holy oil? Christ is our priest. And when Christ died, what happened to us being held in bondage? Well, we were released. We were redeemed by his blood, weren't we? By his death. So this is a type of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Dutch annotations say, being also a type of the Messiah, our high priest and savior, Jesus Christ, who by his death has blotted out the handwriting of our sins and has reconciled us with God. We are guilty we're held in bondage, and Christ's death releases us. Verse 27, He shall not be guilty of blood. If the manslayer finds such a person wandering out of his restricted area of prison, he had the right to kill him, and he would not be held as a murderer. Notice again, freedom of movement was taken away from the manslaughterer, even though he did not intend murder. God calls this a statute of judgment to them, verse 29, throughout their generations. This is a prescribed statute, an enactment, a standing law from generation to generation, God says, universally applicable to Jew and Gentiles. But whoso killeth, he says in verse 29, any person 
The murderer shall be put to death. It doesn't say the age of the person. It doesn't say before or after they're born. In fact, we find elsewhere, if you kill a child in the mother's womb, your life for the baby's life. You wounded for their wound. Their life matters as well. You kill any person, he says, you shall be put to death. If you conspire with a physician to murder your child, you are guilty of death. The mother is in that case. And the physician is guilty of death. Both have murdered a person. God does not take any kind of excuse in this case. It shall happen, he says. This is the rule for civil justice. You can see this in Genesis 9-6, where God originally said, Man is created in my image, therefore, if you take his life, I'll require it of every man, and even of beasts I'll require it, that they take your life. But one witness, he says, shall not testify to cause him to be put to death. There must be lawful procedures and civil judgments as well as in the church. We see this in Matthew 18, 16, 2 Corinthians 13, 1, 1 Timothy 5, 19, Hebrews 10, 28, Revelation, remember the two witnesses that come out and speak in the city? Revelation 11:3. you have witnesses, multiple witnesses before God executes vengeance even. Notice verse 31, you shall take no satisfaction for the life of a murderer, no ransom price, no penalty, no fine is enough, no amount of money you spend on a lawyer is enough. Murder must be punished with death. Notice, if you do not do this, verse 33, you shall not pollute the land wherein ye are. Now the land here, do you think the soil is going to become polluted by this? This is a figure of speech. It's the people who live upon the land will become defiled and polluted. Any society that says, well, I know he committed murder in a fit of passion or premeditated, but we're a little bit nicer than God. God's kind of harsh, you see. He takes people and says, oh, you should put them to death. That's lacking in grace, isn't it? And so they think, well, let's let them live. Such a society we live in, do we not? Are murderers put to death by the sword of civil justice? No, they sit in jail on our tax money, robbing us year after year of our hard-earned wages. Why? Because the tender mercies of the wicked are what? Cruel, that's right. They'll punish the innocent, not the guilty. They'll cause us to pay up because they refuse to do their jobs. God says this pollutes all the people of the land. All societies built on such land are doomed to corruption, to defilement, to uncleanness. And you might say, well, we'll just not kill the murderers. Well, what then happens? What sort of other practices do you suppose become acceptable in a society that does not put capital punishment in its proper place? Well, such a society as ours, isn't it? People begin to become bold in their sin. Judgment is not speedily exercised against them that do evil, and therefore, Solomon says, the hearts of the sons of men are fully set in them to do evil. Corruption pollution, defilement. What's the solution? Well, God tells us, doesn't he? No ransom for a murderer. Put him to death. 
The land, he says, your society, you people, you cannot be cleansed except by the blood of the one who shed. That's the only solution, God says. That's the only way to take care of your civil society is the death of the murderer. This is, you might say, a civil atonement. There is a spiritual atonement in Christ, but this is not talking about your soul. This is talking about your civil body, your political entities. God only accepts the blood of the murderer. That's it. That's the only way forward. Why? Why, Lord? For I, the Lord, dwell among the children of Israel. Do we want to be a Christian nation? Are we going to say that Christian nation means let's accept everybody who says they're Christian regardless of what they believe? No. Does it mean that we're so filled with grace that we'll say, well, Jesus died for this person, so we can't put them to death? That's not a Christian nation. That is a heretical nation who blasphemes God and says, we will not do what you tell us, but we want you to bless us. God bless America. Pat us on the back. Will we do what you say? No. But we still want you to bless us, God. No, that's not how it works. He says, I dwell among you. If you want me to stay, you better do what I say, he says. Christian nations then must publicly acknowledge the true God. They must submit to Jesus as king of kings. And they must execute vengeance upon them that do evil. The sword of civil justice must terrorize those who do evil. This is government-sponsored terrorism. It's the only lawful kind, where those who commit crimes against God's law are terrorized by the civil magistrate, put to death with the sword of justice, decapitated, in other words, their heads removed. Let us then pray and work toward a lawful civil government in our local area, that God would use the sword of civil justice to put murderers, adulterers, blasphemers, perverts, sodomites, rapists, all those lawless and wicked people who grow out of a society where the land is defiled, that God would give us magistrates who punish them rather than praise them. And thus far the explanation of Numbers 35. 